that there is, is like, hunger. Oh, shoot. I didn't even realize. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Hey, 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 welcome back to Thriving in Dystopia, episode two. I'm Dave. And I'm Bob. <laughs> hey, Bob, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's Monday, getting the, the week back going, and I'm a little bit tired, but I'm excited for our podcast. How you doing, Dave? Yeah, I'm doing good. I feel like the school year is coming to an end and that feels really rewarding to me even though today it's really like um rainy and downtrodden and kind of gray outside which is always like a feel bad type of day but it's always a good day to be podcasting with your brother maybe it's a day to do some tomato soup and grilled cheese sandwich (laughs) oh what a segue my friend Loving it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that is what we're talking about today. We're talking about, um, I guess, cooking in the apocalypse, um, kind of food in dystopia. And um, I, it's really my uh, idea for a show this week. And I was just kind of thinking about how much food has played a role in my life over the past few months. Um but really, if you track it back, you can go back years and years and years um, till uh, when I was born and I started eating food. Um, no, <laughs> uh, I just feel like food is just like so integral to who we are as humans and like like our humanity in a way. And I just also really wanted to pick your brain about what you're doing for food right now and how you're doing it and like... I'm not really trying to get any like tips or tricks or like, this is how you beat the line at the grocery store. Or like, this is how you make sure your groceries don't have COVID, um, which is all really important, but it's like really what I'm just doing is just wanting to talk about food in general and what it means to us. Um, Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add about that? Yeah. It seems like this is one of those topics that, you know, maybe at face value, like, doesn't necessarily seem all that exciting, but the more you and I have talked about it and um, the more I've reflected on it, it opens up all kinds of avenues for um, different ideas and questions and things like that. So I think it's going to be a good show. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about food um, with you because it's something we like hardly ever do. And even though like we are so similar as people, I feel like food has always been one of those things that has like, we've definitely had different takes on food in our life in so many, it's like been a very distinct difference in us, I'd say. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have developed in very different ways um, ever since dad taught us how to, um, what was it, make macaroni and cheese or was it make a corn dog? Um, I think it was tuna nuda casserole. <laughs> But, that was a good one. Yeah, classics, right? Um, yeah, I guess really where I want to start the show is talking about 
the messages of food in dystopian fiction if that seems okay to you um because I yeah feel like that seems interesting so much like the message of the food in the dystopia is like so prevalent it's something that every dystopia deals with even in if it's just like a minute clip or like a you know a half half a page about food i feel like it's something that when you're building a dystopian world it's so important to the dystopia because food is so um human and it's so important to us as humans um yeah the first yeah. i don't know why but the first one that came up for me was uh hunger games when i was thinking about food in the dystopia because that there is, is like, hunger it, oh shoot i didn't even realize <laughs> yeah there it is right there hunger games i mean that is like the the people at the capital they i don't know if you've ever seen hunger games or read it but the people at the capital they control the food production the means of production and they um are able they also control all the transportation so there's like one whole colony that is so there's like 11 different colonies that make up the united states and there's one whole colony that is like the u.s south and they are um like just producing food for the capital and they send it to the capital and then the capital because they control the means of production they distribute the food back out to the colonies and um yeah it's like w- how the hunger game starts right you have katniss hunting and she's like trying to provide food that isn't being provided by um the people in power and it's just like such a sad it's like a sad moment where they're eating this like super depressing food and then you like cut to the capital right and it's like this lavish um extravagant like buttery sugary affair and it's kind of marks the whole the whole of it all right there you know yeah every every single part of it including like the when they make the the kids compete against each other and you know Mm. shoot a deer or something like that um it's yeah that's when it it's like the the climax of food and dystopias and yeah um yeah the more we talked about it it seems like exactly what you're saying that food is some part of every dystopia and a dystopia that came up for me was one that you might not think about but idiot idiocracy um classic oh, yeah. of the er- nice. early 2000s and <laughs> that's right yeah um and one of the things that they're doing in that movie is they're using Gatorade as water um, and they're trying to water their crops with Gatorade and it's starting to fail. Um, and yeah, so that's a, another food as a central question, uh, even in a satire dystopia. Um, Gatorade, it's got the nutrients plants need. There it is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, another one that I thought yeah, of was um Demolition Man, which was one of my favorite dystopias of the nineties. Um <laughs> Wesley Snipes and Sandra Bullock. Is that your first one that you've ever sunk your teeth into? I think it was my second. I think um Total Recall was my first. I remember watching that oh, one yeah, at a sleepover party in fifth grade. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> 
yeah. Um, What's happening in uh, uh, Demolition Man? Well, um, you might remember that it's like 20, 25 years in the future and that a little fast food company named Taco Bell has won the fast food wars and it's the only fast food that you can get in the future. Um, <laughs> so that's either was heaven there, or hell. <laughs> was there a fast food war in the 90s that I'm not remembering? Was there like a quote unquote, maybe they were like riffing off the, the war on drugs, you know? <laughs> like I, I know that there's like a fictitious fast food war, but was it like pretty real in the nineties? It's that seems to strike a bell with me. It, it was pretty, pretty much a bloodbath out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hamburgers and tacos everywhere. Yep, but somehow yeah. fast food seems to only have prolifer proliferated since then. Yeah, that's true, huh? Yep, I um. The last one that I wanted to bring up, or at least for me, uh, was Wally, which is another classic um, dystopian world. And I feel like Wally is just the epitome of like they're trying to portray why it's why life is so awful or like how disconnected we are. And they have all these like overweight people that are going around in chairs and everything's about the social media. And they have their screens and they can like just press a button and their chair will open up and like push like whatever, a hamburger into their mouth without them even having to lift a finger, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like, so in the dystopia, like we haven't said this, but the the dystopia comes from the concept of utopia, right? And a utopian yeah. world is like the ideal picturesque world. And there's a lot of different like utopias, right? Like you could have the green utopia, which is kind of the one that resonates with me the most where you're living like in a picturesque little town and everyone's in community and um, raising animals together and farming. And, you know, it's very um, green everywhere. Or you could have like the scientific utopia where, Oh, what's a good example of a scientific utopia? Anything come to mind for you when I say that? Oh, yeah. Something like, I don't know, like that planet on Star Wars that Lando Calrissian's on where, I mean, it's probably a little, it, utopias like slide into dystopias pretty easily, but like some planet right. that has great technology or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the idea behind the scientific utopia is that science can save the world. And it's kind of that one. The reason that I always, those are the two that like really strike to me is because I feel like we are trying to solve the world's problems with science, no matter what the issue, it's always like science will save us. Science will save this situation. So I kind of feel like we're living in the scientific utopia yeah. where technology will save us at all cost. Um, but yeah, exactly. They slide right into dystopia and I feel like um like the work of an author or a producer or director is to like take this idea of how a world is awful like why it is dystopian why it is like um undesirable and i feel like it's it's so easy to do with food right because mm -hmm. food is so clearly 
like it's cut and dry that you would never want to live in any of these worlds where Taco Bell is the only fast food <laughs> or, <laughs> or your, your plants are dying because you're feeding it Gatorade, you know, like all these. And I guess Wally is just like the worst to me, even though there was a, like, there's like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. Like on its surface, like imagine if I could like just press a button and get like food delivered to my house right now. Um, there is like a piece of that that feels good on its surface. But I think that when you just like take it out to the nth degree and you see what happens when you become more and more disconnected from the food system and our food, it's just like, oh my God, that is disgusting. Um, yeah, it's just like so unhealthy and so sad. Great points, Dave. Yeah. That it, the point of a dystopia is to highlight certain cultural practices that we're currently doing and like, yeah, taking mm-hmm. them to a little bit more of a degree and then giving us a critical lens to, to look back on our own society. And mm-hmm. um, I wondered, you know, part of this show is we'll talk about what's happening with food right now in our society. I don't know if you wanted to go to that area next, or if you wanted to talk about what we're both currently doing with food in our own lives. Um, no, I'd say let's save what we're doing with food in our own lives for the end. I'm curious about food in our society, like what your thoughts are about that. Sure. Yeah. The two, two news stories that have come to my attention over the last couple of weeks around food is um, we saw and continue to see like very, very long lines at like food pantries that are, um, you know, they showed some aerial shots of cars in a line that go miles and miles and miles. Um, So, you know, in one sense, there's definitely like both food shortages in some sense, but also probably more the like economic, um, you know, we're in an economic crisis and unemployment and people, right. uh, more, more and more people don't have money to, to go buy groceries. And um, so that seems like it will only be more, more and more a part of what we'll be dealing with. Um, and then the other issue is around meat and yeah of course i'm hoping that that's what you talk about next because that's like been on my mind a lot yeah that the meat packing plants are a hub of virus transmission and um and yet the president trump uh won't shut them down and instead you mean president camacho or president trump thank you that's his name (laughs) (laughs) sorry that's a idiocracy reference (laughs) and a relevant one yeah (laughs) yeah yes a very relevant one um yeah just uh and that's an interesting one as well you know because those meat packing plants are you know most of them are hideous the way that they treat animals and so we have this intersection of treating animals and the environment and people as all expendable. And um, so that one really shines a light on some of the power dynamics of our society. Yeah. How about you, Dave? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, that is, sorry. Yeah. That's just like so sad what's happening with the meat packing plants right now. And, um, I read in the, I read some article about how something like 20% of the cases in the U S are linked to the meatpacking plants of coronavirus, which seems absurd and outlandish to me. I don't know. I should probably get my facts checked straight, but I'll try and put that in the show notes. Don't you think? Um, but it, a oh, New yeah, York Times really article great. just came out about like, yeah, the hot spots and like meatpacking was number one or number two. Um, and I think that that's really just like, and the people that, um, are working at meatpacking plants are so underprotected and so underrepresented. So I definitely like, you know, when I went to the store, um, on Saturday, there was definitely no, um, beef of any kind at the store, which was just like, yeah, it's of note. Um, but I do think that there is some hopeful things that are coming out of this too, right? Like, you know, um, some of the farms that I'm connected to, they, their CSAs, um, the subscribers, the subscriptions filled out faster than ever, even, you know, they just went like through the roof and in Fort Collins here, it was extremely difficult to get onto a CSA even in March, which is pretty early in Colorado. And I think that it definitely is showing like a real, it's really highlighting how food systems are needing to be more localized. First of all, because like, as I'm sure you're noticing, like when I go to the store, there's definitely a lot of stuff like veggie wise that is like pretty sad right now. Like the canned goods have all come back and like, those are like stocked up again. But I feel like every time I'm going into the, um, the veggie section, it's just like, it's like, dang, these veggies are not looking good. And it is definitely like a symptom of where we're at in the food systems. And I definitely think people are trying to become more localized. It's just like, it's a big wake up call, right? And I can't tell you how many people I know who have like started gardens or who have gotten chickens, right? Like that's right. also the other big new source. You know what I mean? Like everyone's doing backyard chickens, which is hilarious. Um, yeah. So I think there is like some hope and I see that um, like when I think about when like the USSR pulled out of Cuba in the nineties and they were totally, um, they couldn't get any food or oil or anything into Cuba because of us um, regulations and the Cuban economy like became very localized and centralized for survival. You know what I mean? So yep. I think that there's a piece of that that's happening right now in the U S and that provides a lot of hope to me. It's just feels like everything. It's just like not happening fast enough or at a big enough scale, you know? Yeah, so the Victory Gardens and ch Backyard Chickens, those are really good. Um, however, they uh, are connected with certain degrees of privilege and access. Oh, and yeah. Hmm. So we have to also be thinking more deeply and broadly. I mean, those are good and people should be doing those. Um, however, yeah, the, you know, those don't necessarily help, though, those 
I mean, maybe they help a little bit. The long line of folks who are lining up at food pantries. Um, yeah, that's true. We have to like also break out of the individualism that um, is been such a, I mean, the crisis has really highlighted U.S. individualism and how it gets in the way of everything, of health and connection and, um, yeah, you know, part of the reason that I think things have spread so quickly is this sense of, like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to just go out and do what I want type of attitude. That's a little bit far afield, but, yeah, I would like us to continue thinking about... um, yeah, not just backyard gardens, which are good, but community gardens and, um, yeah, because it, it reminds me of like in Santa Cruz when there was a struggle. There's a um, neighborhood of mostly low-income Latinx folks who had a community garden and the boardwalk wanted to take it away. And so they lost a third of their garden in that struggle and, and maintained two-thirds mm-hmm. of it, but... Um, struggles like that are really important in terms of sort of food justice. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like we could go deeper and deeper down, um, this hole. And there's like definitely like whole podcasts that are like surrounding her. I don't know, surrounding the idea of food justice and what that means. And like, I guess what it really is highlighting to me is, um, this mantra that, uh, I've had on my fridge for a while, mostly cause you sent me a postcard with this is to change everything, start anywhere. And I feel like it shows that everything is so interconnected. And as we're just talking, we're like going down this like chain and we're showing all these like interconnected webs of like how to just like how everything is just dependent on each other. Um, but it definitely like in my own life, I chose food as where I wanted to start um, making change um, with social justice because I felt that the food system that I was a part of was really corrupted. And I felt like if I could help be a part of changing the food system, that I could help be a part of changing global warming. I could help be a part of um, stopping peak oil. Um, and as I became a farmer, I like took a step back and was like, oh man, like I wasn't even aware of like the food justice side of things. I guess I was aware of it, but it wasn't like why I was like started down the road of becoming a farmer and yeah. And it like also pretty immediately, I didn't realize how like on a personal level, how much food was affecting my own health. Because as I started growing my own food, I mean, this was all 10 years ago when this all started, but like, as I've started growing my own food and thinking about cooking and how that um, affects my own physical health, like I've lost 30 pounds Mm. since 20, when we moved to Santa Cruz in 2010. And it's like, that's pretty incredible to think about. And if you also remember when I moved to Santa Cruz, I could hardly move because my back was so messed up. Mm, yeah. Um, and so that was like not that 
honestly, like that's not why I, I started gardening or farming for any, for any reason. It wasn't to delve into like food justice and it wasn't to like try and fix my own physical being um, for the better. But it's like, it's incredible how like just grow the act of growing food has affected me in those strong and um, yeah lasting ways changed it's like really changed my life more than anything over the past decade is the idea of um being connected to the food that i'm a part of and even though now like i still am just going to the grocery store um i don't have a garden started yet that's like on the plan for the week but it's um i'm still very connected to the food system here in Fort Collins and trying to get more and more connected as we put our roots down and we go to the roots a little bit, you know? Yeah. Maybe on that note, we can talk about, uh, personal practices and, um, we're in the last section of the show now. And, uh, I mean, that would be an interesting thing to talk about, like you putting in your garden, what you're thinking about, but maybe you wanted to talk about cooking um, cause we actually haven't gotten to cooking yet. Have we? Um, yeah. yeah, not really, huh? That's okay. That's, I mean, it wasn't like anything you to change everything, start anywhere. So it doesn't matter exactly where we started. We'll get to cooking at some point, you know? Yeah. Probably in the show on, um, like when we do, uh, sewing, we'll get to cooking or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you mind if, um, you go first and I ask you some questions or. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious, like how often you're shopping, um, what are your like meal planning? What does it look like when you meal plan? And, um, also I'm curious how much you're spending. And yeah, um, I guess to preface, I know that neither of us are going out to eat right now. Um, but anyway, so you can answer those questions. Yeah, let's see. Um, we, we go shopping at the grocery store every two weeks. Um, we've made it. Our longest has been 17 days, um, but we try to shoot for two weeks. And um, yeah, I mean, the inventorying and the the drawing up of the grocery list is like nothing, never before, you know, it's a it's a very extensive process in and of itself. Um, I used to try to go to the store every day or every other day or something like that. Yeah. We joked, um, like when I lived in Germany, I would see like older women, like going to the store every day. So I was like, yeah, I kind of take the European grandma, uh, philosophy and now can't do that anymore. Um, so yeah, drawing out these big lists and, then, yeah, my partner and I, we talk about all the meals we want to do. Um, we have some staples, staple meals, but then we always want to try to keep it fresh. And yeah, it's it's like we have to be thinking about dinners, lunches, uh, breakfasts, snacks. You know, they're all kind of like different things that all need attention. And um, so yeah. then... Can yeah. I ask what your staple meals are? Like, what are the things that you tend to be cooking every every uh, two-week section? Sure. Yeah, like um, one is we do these um, cauliflower black bean tacos that have this nice special sauce on them. Um, mm. 
we call them fishless fish tacos. Another <laughs> one is oh, um, like red curry noodles with tofu and vegetables. Um, and we've added yep. pad thai into that one as well, like alternating. Um, uh-huh. so sort of a like an Asian noodle dish. Yep. Yep. Um, another staple is like various types of pasta. This two weeks, it's been manicotti, you know, the stuffed shells with ricotta, which yeah. has been really nice. Um, oh, interesting. With a little little garlic bread and side salad. Yeah. Nice. I'm also curious how you felt about snacks, because I have a lot of feelings about snacks. Uh, but how, but yeah, like, have you been surprised at your snacking habits at all? A little bit, yeah. Um, I mean, you showed me those granola bars from Nature's Valley that mom got, and I really like those. So that's one of my my clutch snacks. Um, I overall try to do a little bit less snacking and like eat a little bit more at my meals. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that's weird is like I feel like I'm eating well and you know enough. But I've lost 10 pounds and I'm like Whoa. not a big, big guy. So like that is, that's significant. Um, that's like 10%. Yeah, it's like about 10%. So that's interesting too. I think like maybe going out at restaurants was, you know, more calories than I thought it was. Or I'm also like running more, like doing more extensive jogs. But that that's interesting too. Hmm. Um, and I know we're getting close to the, at the end of the podcast, just time-wise. So I wanted to flip it to you, Dave, and, sure. um, give you some space to answer those questions too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we, it's funny because I feel like I've found more similarities in what you were saying. Um, we have, me and my partner have both um, been like really trying to push it to the limits, our cooking and like make it really exciting in the kitchen, which is not super atypical, but like I am, um, yeah, I've been really enjoying going extravagant with breakfast and like making biscuits and gravy and breakfast tacos with like homemade tortillas and yeah, I I find it to be really nice to make like one meal a day besides breakfast where you can like eat yesterday's dinner for lunch and then you make a new dinner. Um, mm-hmm. So it really has been really just like one meal besides breakfast each day is what we're trying to make. Um, but yeah, it doesn't always work out that way. And I feel like, I mean, yeah, you're vegetarian. Um, and I'm like, been, we've been pushing towards more vegetarianism. I guess you're not totally vegetarian anymore, but what would you describe yourself as? Um, these days, yeah, we have not been buying any like meat, meat. We have been buying like a little bit of fish. Um, so like pretty Mm -hmm. close to vegetarian, but like, yeah, 98% or something. Yeah. Well, the second you can buy sesame chicken, that that all goes out oh. the window again, right? Oh my god. Yeah, you know it. You know it. <laughs> yeah. I I'm the biggest meal that we do every time is 
um, like a crock pot of a pork roast. So I'll usually buy like a five pound pork roast and then I'll put it in the crock pot or Instapot and slow cook it to make pulled pork. And then while that's cooking, I'll be soaking beans and then I'll throw beans in for the next day. And then usually I'll like make a meal, either like a, like a chili, like a pulled pork chili or like a, like an enchilada pie or something like that, you know? Um, and yeah, I guess I feel like one of the most shocking things to me is how much snacking costs and how much I snack every day. Mm. Um, and I definitely have been trying to snack less, but I've noticed that snacking has been like such a big part of like, and I've heard a lot of people say this, that they feel like their snacking has just been like sort of out of control or maybe not Mm. out of control, but like, um, yeah, it's just been huge. So, and the other thing that I feel that has been a big part is how big my, the grocery bills have been for me, you know, I don't know if you feel this way, but my grocery bills have every time, I mean, it's not that absurd, but it's $500 every two weeks, you know? And that feels like a lot to me, but I guess that feels sort of typical. Like if you're spending a thousand dollars a month, but I know your grocery bills seem to be a lot cheaper. Is that true? Yeah. I'd say we're actually like around like $300 every two weeks. So Yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to like share, share receipts with one another. I'm curious. I mean, two hundred dollars yeah. every two weeks—that's that's something, you know. Like, so yeah. where are we where are we differing? Mm-hmm. Right. I wonder if it, I mean, and our last bill was three eighty rather than five hundred, but um, yeah, could just be because I'm buying expensive coffee. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you but. are um, a third wave coffee man. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um. So I think we have to start wrapping up. Each week we decided we're going to talk about, um, what did we decide to call it, Bob? Oh, yeah. Something either like happenings or tuned in. Like what? Oh, yeah, tuned in. What's Let's a, just call it tuned in. A media that we're both into right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I can start. And ironically, I'm going to do a book. Um you know, with our dystopias show, I started getting into George Orwell and looking at his his work. And I'm reading his first novel. His first book is a novel called Burmese Days. And it's yeah. like he lived in Burma um, when the British were the colonial powers in the 1920s. And it gave him, it was like a moment, a real turning point for him to see the ugly side of empire and so he wrote a novel on it that's really interesting. Um, like that's a really unique place to be writing a novel, you know, in in Burma in the 1920s, critiquing the British. Um, so it's pretty good. Um, Sweet. So, yep. That reminds me of uh, Peterman. It'll always be Burma to me, Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure they re- they read this one. Yeah. What's up with that? Why do people still say that? Like Myanmar, you know, it used to be Burma as if that like really sparks something for people. Um, I, I think Burma is the, I don't know. It does have a 
imperial connection, that word Burma. Yeah. Um, and I think Myanmar has a more indigenous name, but yeah. Anyways, uh, how about you, Dave? What are yeah. you tuned into? Uh, yeah, I'd say the biggest thing that's been um, on my mind is uh, I've been watching the TV show Barry with uh, Bill Hader, where he plays like a hitman. Um, and it has, it's got a lot of heart for, uh, it's like a, this new wave of TV that's all about dramedy, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like comedy, but it's like really dark, but there is like s- some really touching moments where you're um, kind of like taken aback and like, man, this show is not afraid to go to like certain spots that other shows. Um, like it just like, if you think about 18 years ago, like friends was still on the air, you know what I mean? And it's like, man, we've come so far in television to be like really delving into deep stuff and that i mean barry is like not really a a show that is like super deep or worth talking about to be honest but it just like i just found myself thinking like wow tv is like so much better now and there's like a lot in tv and um yeah i mean even on this in this podcast i'm sure we'll i'll end up bringing up some stuff like westworld or um what's another dystopian one that i got into oh maybe walking dead even (laughs) has some interesting topics but yeah it's just like a different world where tv is definitely like in this golden age that feels like there's a lot there so even like the shows that aren't like super uh trend setting have like there's definitely a lot there so yeah and i definitely recommend barry it's better than almost half the shows from 10 years ago so check it out perfect dave well, we better yeah. end up end our episode here. Any any last words? No, I just want to thank you for uh, will your willingness to approach this uh, cooking in the apocalypse and um, sort of putting the food into the dystopia. Because yeah, I felt like it was not going to be as rich as it was, but man, we're already like eleven minutes over our estimate. You know? Yeah, we are. So That's right. Um, yeah. Do you want to give those, uh, social media coordinates? Oh, that's right. Yeah, we have those. Um, Twitter is, um, my handle is bmaze19 and you can tweet at us, um, ideas or questions or, um, anything that strikes you. And then what about your email address, Dave? Yep. So you can hit me up at davepeachtree at gmail.com. And we'll get, we'll try and get back to you. And it, I know that the show's not even out yet. We're not even going to post episodes till we do three of these. So yep. um, we're not expecting to hear from anybody, but ex- we'll be excited to um, hear from people as the show goes live, you know, see what people are enjoying about the show. And oh yeah, next week we're going to talk about um, AK Press, right? Yeah. Radical Publishing books yeah and and particularly ak press the anarchist publisher sweet oh man can't wait for that bob well we'll sign off and we'll see you guys next week i am lost hey y'all 
Bob and I want to just take a moment and thank you for lending us your ears for this show. And we also want to thank the artists who have lended us the tunes for the show. The intro is a song called In Heaven by Drake Stafford. And the outro that you're listening to right now is a song called Hurricane. And it's by Culla off the album Colossus. Hope you enjoy it and hope you have a great week.